Hi, I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Zach Luna. This year, Spider-Man finally joins the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Spider-Man Homecoming. But 15 years ago, the friendly neighborhood webhead hit the big screen for the first time ever. Introducing Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the Spider-Man movies one minute at a time. Starting with Sam Raimi's web-slinging debut, we discuss everything from genetically engineered super spiders to wall-crawling heroics. Join us as we navigate the great power and great responsibility behind every single minute of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Spider-Man Minute, available at DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are discussing Chuck Bartowski from the TV series Chuck. How are things? Things are good. And I love this show, so I'm really excited for this discussion. <laughs> and I believe, producer Andrew, you also love this show. I very, very much love this show. It got me through like my last two years of college, because I rewatched it as necessary to get through finals and stuff. <laughs> and And the first time I watched it was like a month after I had turned 23, and in the first episode, they make a point of celebrating Chuck's 23rd birthday, and I was like, I am Chuck! You were? <laughs> were you working for the nerd herd? No. Did you get government secrets downloaded into your brain? I really wanted to. <laughs> Spoiler warning for our listeners, that may happen in this show. It seemed so cool. So, just a little bit uh, more info on this. Chuck is a television series that aired from uh, on NBC from 2007 to 2013. It was created by Josh Schwartz and Chris Fiedek? I believe so. I, I don't know that I've ever heard it said out loud, but <laughs> that is how I would pronounce it. Chuck is played by Zachary Levi. We're discussing the pilot episode, Chuck vs. the Intersect, which was written by Josh Schwartz and Chris Fiedek and directed by McGee? McGee. Yes, his... <laughs> I, I will go find his name. He's, he started out as a music video director, and then he directed, like, the Charlie's Angels movies. But mm-hmm. he goes by Mick G, which is part of his middle name, I believe. Uh, but, like, it, if you see one of his movies, it always just says directed by Mick G, like the pilot. Interesting. And he's an okay. executive producer on this. So every I think every episode has, you know, executive producers and a couple normal names and then Mick, Mick G. G. Okay. Uh, his, his full name is jo- Joseph McGinty Nickel. Okay. Mick G. Uh, so Chuck originally aired on September 24th, 2007. Uh, the premise of the show is that an underachieving computer nerd gets all government secrets downloaded into his brain, and now only he can access them. Two super competent government agents are in charge of protecting him as he uses the secrets in his head to protect the world. Did so, I good summary of that? Yes, I yeah. like that. Uh, so Todd, how did you come to Chuck? Um, I had heard a lot about Chuck and people talking about how much they loved it, and uh, there was a night... That I will never forget. <laughs> One of my children was very, very, very sick uh, with respiratory issues. Was it and uh, the uh, the croup cough? Or? It was something else. But um, I have... Anyway, my kids, when they get sick, they tend to get very, very sick. <laughs> um, and so I often have memories of, like, just being in hospitals and things. And this was not at, at the hospital. It was at home. Uh, but I spent one long, sleepless night... giving treatments to my child like every 15 minutes or something all through the night uh and i watched chuck all through the (laughs) night and um i 
I I'll, I'm just gonna get this on the table right now. Chuck is not my favorite TV show in the world. It's fine. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we've talked about 140 things. I can't imagine <laughs> every single one of them is your favorite thing. <laughs> uh, it it was it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, and and I will always have us like a soft spot for Chuck just because of that memory. <laughs> um, but I I didn't finish watching all of the thing. I maybe watched two seasons or something, and then I just kind of. Lost. Lost interest. Uh Uh, I remember some other grad students talking about it when I was in grad school. And I I think it was when the first season was still airing. And my wife and I started to watch it. And we caught up. And then we watched all the rest of the episodes kind of, you know, on the DVR as Mm -hmm. they they aired. And Chuck has a soft spot for me because my first peer-reviewed published article was on Chuck. Way to go. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it, it came out, like, I wrote it. I remember I was working on it while the last season was airing and I worked in the finale like as into the conclusion of the article like a week after it aired and then submitted it. Way and, to go. And got uh, that publication in the Journal of Popular Culture. So I will always have a soft spot for Chuck for that reason. Nice. What about you, Producer Andrew, since you're joining us a lot in this yes, conversation? Because uh, <laughs> I'm compensating for Todd's not favorite. <laughs> I, would, I would say this is my favorite show, but I enjoyed it a lot and I have seen all of it. This, this is... Probably my favorite show. I watched the whole thing through at least four times. Three or four times. Which is quite a probably, probably four times. While I was finishing. This is six, se- six seasons? Five. Five. Five seasons. And 91 one episodes. Them, some yeah, of them are shorter. One of them's like a 14 and, season. Well, the first season, first season I think is only 13, and then you run into the. It had a writer's strike season. You remember? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's like the third or fourth. Yeah, so there's another shortened season because um, of that. But yeah, so I was. I was 23 and taking finals. I had like two more years of school left and I was really stressed with finals and I think it was I had lived in an apartment near campus for a year and I was moving back into my parents house which was not that far from campus it was a little farther from campus but cheaper than than an apartment near campus and I was moving back in and this was what I watched while I was moving, and also it was when I had finals, um, like all around the same time. <laughs> like I had moved my stuff, and then like gotten through the semester. I'm like, okay, classes aren't happening. All I have to do is take finals and study, and move all my stuff <laughs> into this room. And so this was what I had on in the background because I can't remember why I actually watched it because it was years after it it had wrapped up, and it was on Netflix. But as soon as I watched the first episode, episode I was, I was a hundred percent in. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of my, my things. Yeah. Um, and That's there awesome. were a lot of things that I attached to. Like I was the same age as Chuck at the beginning of the series. I'm like, oh, I I can feel like this guy. Yeah. And um, a lot of identification through that mm-hmm. really contributed to it. Um, mm-hmm. I was working. Uh, at the radio station at the college radio station at the time and. So I wasn't doing exactly <laughs> what Chuck does, stuff, but... but it was, you know, technical and, and geeky and... And you were low on the... the and, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's low scale. on the totem pole and uh, it, it's a dead end because, like, they'll fire you when you graduate. <laughs> That's how that one goes. But it is, uh, yeah, I just identified a lot with Chuck and, mm-hmm. um, and watched the whole thing in, like, less than a month. Wow. And then a few months later, I was like... I want to feel like I did when I watched Chuck. So I watched Chuck again. <laughs> did it work? Yeah. Nice. It, it got me out of a couple slumps. <laughs> That's good. 
I wanted to note that while you watch it on Netflix, it is currently off of Netflix, and I believe the only way to watch it is through DVD purchasing or buying the individual episodes on Amazon. Yeah. I think it's not streaming anywhere. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I recommend it. I think it'd be worth trying to find that. Before we move on, we would like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon and remind uh, all of you that our podcast provides you with over four hours of content every month. And if that's worth a quarter per hour to you, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And now we turn the time over to Joe for a long synopsis of Chuck. Before the long synopsis, I'm going to give a little bit of trivia. Not a tri- Oh, okay. <laughs> we jumped that in the script. It happens. Uh, oh, we've kind sorry. of already said Chuck ran for five, season, five seasons, and it had 91 total episodes, and it aired between 2007 and 2012. The show was never a huge hit, uh, but in some ways it was kind of snake-bitten. It premiered against very established and popular shows, like in its original time slot. It was going up against Dancing with the Stars, House, and How I Met Your Mother on the other three networks. Um, all of which were wow. pretty big hits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a tough spot. <laughs> yeah. And then in its second season, NBC promoted its premiere date very heavily during the Super Bowl. And then President Obama held a news conference at that date and time. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, So it got preempted after all of the uh, promos. Uh, But despite never being a top 20 hit, it received generally favorable favorable reviews during its entire run. And it always scored highly in a metric that tried to measure fan engagement with the series. So like social media discussion. And and, I mean, this is in the 2007, 2008, 2009. So I'm sure there are better metrics now. But they're trying to rate, rate shows on like how much it's getting discussed online. And Chuck was a top 20 show in that metric, even though it was usually in like the 80s and 90s in terms of ratings <laughs> so i guess you could say while it never had as broad a base as the network want the base that it the fan base it did have was deeper kind of like community yeah i, I was going to compare it to community because i think they were on around they were airing at the same time on the same network mm-hmm. um and so nbc was doing well with these two things in that metric but not so well <laughs> in the actual number in, of in, in the metrics that they wanted and i i think they definitely like the the reason i definitely know and I'll call this trivia for the sake of this being the trivia discussion, uh, is there's a period in community where they start discussing Subway a lot because Subway made a deal that we just want to be on the show. You can do whatever you want. Just like <laughs> put our name in the show. And the same thing happens throughout about two seasons of Chuck. They constantly talk about Subway. Yeah. Really? It's like carrying in Subway. Subway. Yes. Yeah. Like, like everyone is talking about a Subway <laughs> it, it, sandwich. It was like a, every other episode. It was a product placement sponsor. I always wanted and to so I, I think it was the same time and NBC... Yeah made a deal with Subway for both of these shows with the same deal basically on Chuck I always wanted uh, Sarah to start working at a Subway because she she works at uh, a rotating like Wienerlicious uh, yeah, I, I think in the first season it's Wienerlicious and I think it changes to another fictional it's restaurant like a like a frozen yogurt yeah, smoothie like, oh yeah. yeah and I just wanted that to switch to a Subway because she works uh, there's a character that works in a food chain right next to the place where Chuck works mm-hmm. and I thought the natural way to do it we just have her start working there but I don't think they did that I feel like having poor ratings but like having really good engagement is it's like being in high school and like getting really good grades but having no friends or something like that <laughs> It's like, I mean, it's it's like you're doing really great, and but it's really important for not... like the long term. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it doesn't feel very good. It like, doesn't feel very good at the time. The fandom of Community and, and Chuck, I think, is going to last a lot longer than shows like, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the cop shows that get big ratings right now, like, right. just kind of come and go. 
I mean, and even though they're top 10 CSI, NCS, yeah. whatever, yeah, whatever. One, one of the four spinoffs that is a top 20 show, is it going to have a fan base that's talking about it in 20 years? Right. The way I think Community will have I a agree. fan base in mm-hmm. 20 years. I agree. Okay, long synopsis? Yes. Wait, I have one other piece of trivia. Oh, uh, jump in. In my capstone course for BYU, we took a trip to Hollywood, which our, our professor cashed in like all the favors he could, and he was sure that they would make a rule that this couldn't happen again. <laughs> Afterwards, <laughs> he cashed in favors from like three departments to send our, our capstone American Studies course to Hollywood, and we got a, a behind-the-scenes tour of Fox Studios from an alum from BYU. Uh, he was like the photo archivist. And while we were on the studio lot, someone walked past us and I was like, that guy looks so familiar. And I didn't realize it until well after he had walked by, but it was, um, Zachary Levi. No, huh. <laughs> it was one of the, the B part, but always there. Nerd herd guys. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was one of the other nerd herd guys. Jeff or from Lester. Jeff. Or... It was Jeff. Yeah. And wow. he, he like walked by and I was like, it looks so familiar, but he was in a suit and everything. So I didn't recognize it. And then when I did, I was like, from Chuck, but <laughs> I love Chuck. How did I not recognize him? Oh, man. And so it was my, my brush with Chuck stardom. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't, you guys haven't uh, met Chuck people at, uh, uh, no, Sol- some of you has Sol- a, Sol- Sol- Comic Con, I met, um, Jane. Yeah. Uh, Casey. Casey. <laughs> I, I've not met any Chuck alum. And I, they didn't have any Chuck images for him to sign. And I was extremely disappointed. Because sure that was the thing. Because you got the Firefly. You got the Firefly picture. It was all Firefly stuff for him, I'm sure. I think maybe he had something from uh, Independence Day, too. But it was it was like eight Wait, Fireflies. Was it in Independence Day? Yeah, he plays basically Jane. He shoots through the uh, Oh, glass. right. Now I remember him. He looks much younger. He's just like Mr. President. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He's, he's like on the security detail. And What's his name? In, um, Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Yes. yes. Not one of those Baldwins, but... Yeah, <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, he was he was really cool and really nice and huge. He's like 6'4". Really? He's very tall. Maybe just 6'2", but he's he's imposing. I huh. would say he looks imposing on camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they didn't have any Chuck stuff, and I was so sad because I'm like, all I want is him to sign a picture of Casey from Chuck because Chuck means everything to me. Right. And I... Zachary Levi was there one year, and I couldn't go. I think it was when I was getting married. Um... <laughs> Priorities, priorities. <laughs> and uh, Strahovska hasn't been. Is it Strahovski? Strahovski. I think so. I don't know. She's she's half Polish, so mm. she she speaks Polish throughout the show sometimes, and it's real. Uh-huh. No. Um, and she's Australian. She is. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's. I'm very impressed by her. She has a she very good American accent. accent. Yeah. yeah, she has a very um, good mid- Midwest American accent. But if if she or Zachary Levi were ever at Salt Lake Comic Con again. I have to go. Like, nice. I need to go get the Chuck stuff. I need it. All right. Let's jump into this long summary of the pilot episode. Chuck and his best friend Morgan Grimes are trying to sneak out of a party. And we discover it is actually Chuck's birthday party that his sister threw for him. But he doesn't know anyone there. His sister Ellie is a doctor, and she has invited many single eligible doctors for Chuck to meet, but Chuck crashes and burns in social situations. He is still pining for his girlfriend from, is it five years ago? Yeah. It is? Yeah. Uh, One girl at the party, though, upon hearing that Chuck studied at Stanford, asks if he knows Bryce Larkin, and Chuck says, yeah, he was my roommate, implies. uh, Basically, like, Larkin was perfect. (laughs) He was an amazing athlete. Uh, He was a straight-A student. He was a genius. Uh, However, it's implied also that he got Chuck expelled, and then Bryce Larkin started dating Chuck's girlfriend. So maybe not perfect. Uh, We then cut to Bryce Larkin downloading something from a government computer, and then 
taking out dozens of government agents in a crazy action sequence. And then he emails something to Chuck right before he is shot by a towering, intimidating agent named Casey, who is played by Adam Baldwin. I have to I have to say two things about this. Number one is the technology. Like, he's got these great big huge cables. And it's a flip phone. <laughs> and he's got a flip phone and, like, this PDA thing. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah the smartphones were not invented yet. So right. now we expect everything to be one gadget, and they're using separate gadgets for things. Yeah, it's really good. And then the other thing is, um, I just, like, it just hit me that I watched Chuck for the first time at Stanford. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after uh, the party ends, Chuck gets an email from Bryce Larkin, and he opens it, and it flashes random images across his computer screen. Chuck falls into a trance and watches the images all night long. Uh, in the morning, Morgan comes to get Chuck so they can go to work at the Buy More, one of my favorite names for a store ever. <laughs> so good. Chuck is head of the nerd herd at Buy More. Think uh, the it's Geek Best Buy. Yeah, it's squad. Best it's the Best Buy on the Geek Squad. Yeah. Uh, at work, Chuck warns the nerd herd about a particularly nasty computer virus that gets onto laptops when the owner visits, visits a particular porn site. On the display TVs at the Buy More, though, Chuck sees a general uh, that's on the news, like the, the display TVs are showing a news channel. Chuck sees the general and his mind flashes and suddenly he knows things about the general that he should not know. We cut to a shadowy meeting between a CIA leader and an NSA leader talking about Bryce Larkin. John Casey is there. He is an NSA agent. Apparently Larkin was CIA, but he went rogue. Casey is sent to find out who Larkin's email went to. The government had encoded all their secrets into these images that would flash and an agent would be able to decode them. Larkin stole all of their secrets and destroyed the computer that was housing them. So the government has now lost <laughs> a lot of their secrets. Uh, at the Buy More, a beautiful woman named Sarah uh, comes in for help with her cell phone, and she's stunning. And all like all the guys in the nerd herd and <laughs> that work at the Buy More are just like gawking at her. Uh, Chuck fixes her phone instantly, and she's a little bit charmed when she sees Chuck help a father out. The father had failed to record his daughter's ballet recital. Chuck sets up all the videos in the store to play a live feed while the girl dances in front of them, and they record her performance at the Buy More. Uh, Chuck. Uh, hears that the store is also going to be hiring an assistant manager. He starts thinking about applying. So, we, like Chuck, we've always known is kind of in a dead end job, and this is the first like spark of ambition that he seems to have displayed <laughs> in a long time, based on what his friends and family are saying. Um, when uh, oh, and after he thinks about this, he looks over and Morgan announces that Sarah, the the beautiful woman that had been in the buy more, she left a card for Chuck. Uh, with her phone number, but Chuck kind of decides he's not going to call Sarah. When he gets home, a thief in all black is stealing Chuck's computer. Chuck and Morgan spectacularly fail to stop the thief, but the computer <laughs> is broken in the fight. The thief runs off, and when she rips off her mask, we find out that it was Sarah, the girl from the Bybor. Chuck is a bit freaked out. He goes to the large mart to buy new locks for his house. <laughs> Another great name for a store. The Buy More is next to the large mart. And, and so Buy More is all the tech stuff, and the large, large mart is right. basically like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. It's, it's got it just, all the other stuff. Yes, but it's the, the, uh, the set design on those are fantastic. They're hilarious. <laughs> the way they're laid out. Uh, at the large mart, he sees a customer, and his mind again flashes with information, and he knows this man is an assassin. 
He can't do anything about it, but he is more freaked out. Uh, we find out that Sarah is a CIA agent, and she is following Chuck. She's ordered off the mission, though, uh, because Casey from the NSA is going to deal with Chuck. Sarah asks that if she can ignore the orders, and her boss kind of quietly gives permission, but not really. <laughs> uh, and she goes and asks Chuck on a date. He agrees, much to the delight of Chuck's sister, Ellie, and her boyfriend, Captain Awesome. I love Captain Awesome. Captain Awesome. Captain awesome. <laughs> Such a great character. I will, oh, so many good characters. He's, he's fantastic. <laughs> Chuck takes Sarah to dinner and then to a club to hear a live band. At the club, Sarah spots NSA mo- mo- agents moving in to grab Chuck, and she takes them out while dancing with Chuck so that he never sees what's going on. She takes out all the agents except for Casey. Sarah sees Casey and then grabs Chuck and tells him they need to run. She takes the keys for his nerd mobile and a crazy car chase ensues. (laughs) Eventually, Chuck, Sarah, and Casey end up on a roof with Sarah and Casey pointing guns at each other and Chuck alternatively while negotiating what they need to do with him. Uh, Chuck looks out over the city and he sees a hotel and he has a major flash of information that puts together the assassin he'd seen, some bomb uh, plans, uh, the general who's in town and that hotel that he's looking at and he knows an assassination is about to happen. Sarah and Casey join forces with Chuck to stop the assassination. They run into the hotel. They find a bomb with a laptop counting down uh, with only a minute left. Chuck, realizing that it's too dangerous to snip any wires, infects the laptop with that porn virus mentioned earlier (laughs) and it freezes up the computer and the day is saved. Then Chuck wonders what would have happened if it had not worked out, and he again freaks out. Now that Chuck has government secrets in his head and is the only one that can access them, Sarah and Casey are assigned to protect him, and they will work with him as needed. Casey goes undercover as a new employee at the Buy More, the most intimidating salesman ever <laughs> at the Buy More. Not, not part of the nerd herd, part of like the restock and yeah. basic customer service people. Uh, and then in a final scene, Chuck sees a ring on Sarah's finger, finger and he flashes again and he sees uh, surveillance footage of her murdering two people on a government job. She just takes them out. Uh, and then he is now quite overwhelmed with the course uh, his life has taken. The- All right. Well done. Thank you. Huh. That was really, uh, that was very succinct. Thank you. It's a... Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty straightforward plot. Uh, it, does, it doesn't jump around in time the way a lot of the things that we're asked to summarize sometimes do. And I, on the whole, I think it's a strong pilot. It's not perfect. There's mm-hmm. some things that don't work as well as others. Like the scene of Sarah on the dance floor taking out the NSA agent, something seems, feels off about the uh, the stakes of the moment and also the editing. Like, yeah. like, it doesn't quite gel into a cohesive scene. So that's kind of a low point. But the winning part of the pilot for me is the performances. Um, Zachary Levi is just so charming yeah, as I Chuck agree. and Adam Baldwin is perfect as Casey Captain Awesome is great Ellie is great yeah. Morgan all Grimes, the characters yeah. are really good the, the, the casting on this was spectacular so can I just get one thing off the table and then we can talk about how awesome this is yeah okay um, so I think probably the, my biggest hang up with the show is um, on the one hand it's it's supposed to be uh, kind of this role reversal thing where instead of the su- super secret agent guy taking care of a girl, it's this cool secret agent girl taking care of a guy. Yeah. Um, and I like Sarah's character. Um, I don't think she's like flat or, um, or not interesting. She's certainly capable and smart and all of these things. I feel like there's some like gratuitous sort of objectification of yes. women in this show. Absolutely. And and it's ho- like it, it creates this kind of dissonance for me in my head 
where it's like they're trying to do something. They have great female characters, and then they treat them in some instances like pretty poorly. I, it's it's just it's kind of hard for me to reconcile that, and I think it's one of the reasons why I became disinterested with the show because uh, because I just couldn't uh, I couldn't like settle on what was going on with the with this. Is that I, I agree, Todd? Yeah, particularly yeah, you're in not this wrong. pilot, um, there's long lingering shots of Ivan Strahovski in lingerie as she's preparing for the date with Chuck and they cut to shots of Chuck getting ready and it's all super close up on his face. Right. Like there's no ogling of Zachary Levi's body. <laughs> but there is definitely male gaze oriented camera work on totally. Yvonne yeah. Strahovski. It's a body. total male like a like a male fantasy thing. Yeah. And so even though you're saying like, oh look at look how great it is we're empowering women, that's like you're still empowering women essentially in a teenage boy's fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not, yeah, you're right. So I'm not going to like refute (laughs) the things. Um, but like one of the initial things I'm thinking of is it's not as bad as Alias at that, I would say. Which Alias was, uh, predates this. Yeah. But it's another spy show with, uh, that does a lot of role reversal stuff, has the strong female. Yeah. But But, Jennifer Garner has so many costume changes where she's down to her her lingerie. Yeah. And, and like slow motion to music. As she like pulls off what she was wearing, and then yeah. has a hero shot of her walking in nothing and so but a bra. I'd, I'd say a step of improvement, and I also think that through Chuck being a comedy, part of it is meant to be parody, mm-hmm. but that doesn't excuse it. I, I think some of it's intended as parody, but it's still demonstrating male gaze and yeah. right. Like it's it's like it's like the film Gladiator is a. I mean, if if that's the argument. Then it's like looking at the film Gladiator as a critique of our, you know, vi- violence-obsessed society mm-hmm. and saying, like, oh, look how bad all these Romans were because they were so obsessed with violence and yet you're watching this ultra-violent film yeah. to do that thing. That really glorifies that That very glorifies thing. the very thing. And um, the, I think, so we, initially we had talked about, talking about the first episode and then the, the final episode of... Uh, of the first season. Mm-hmm. And in that one, at the beginning, you see these gross nerd herd guys who are taking pictures of women's, um, like, like down. women who come, yeah, looking down women's shirts as they mm-hmm. come into the thing. And it's like, oh, look how disgusting these guys are. And yet that's, that's exactly what the show does. It's exactly what the show does. And at the end of that, you have like these two women in like fairly revealing clothes like in this fight this is a total male fantasy thing of like what if two women in miniskirts had a fight and how cool would that be and the show is doing the exact same thing that it's criticizing its own characters so for you doing. want it to be true to their i'd like for it actually... to be consistent yeah, whatever yeah. it is be consistent and i feel like it's not mm-hmm. and it's it's like i it's certainly my 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 biggest criticism of this thing and if you can set that aside, and it's a pretty big thing to set aside, then there's so much to like about about Sarah and about Ellie and uh, about the relationship with Chuck. And there's so much great stuff going on mm-hmm. that I think it's the kind of thing that you either say, like, it, it, it I, you either kind of take it or leave it thing. Yeah. Um, I think there are certainly shows that like can contain the content that it's criticizing and do it in a very smart, intelligent way. This one doesn't even try to engage with that aspect of it. Um, And I think it does create a disconnect sometimes with, like you said, especially in like that, that other episode where it's like, these guys are the creeps, but the show itself. At the same time is conducting the exact same behavior. I mean, in that, in that episode, especially it's like so obvious 
the double standard that they're playing that it's a it's a huge turnoff for me recognizing that like the spy genre of films like is, is rife with <laughs> Is rife with this, and I mean, if it, you're gonna hold it up against like a Bond film, for example, this is so. <laughs> it's much. I mean, more it's it, oh yeah, like this yeah. is this there is, is so in much more such a Bond better. It's in such a better place <laughs> than like a Bond girl or something. But it, it's in in especially in um, I've heard it said for like Casino Royale that the real Bond girl in that movie is is Daniel Craig, <laughs> because of the way they film it and like him strutting out of the seaside and yeah. And it was like it's comparable to what they do to Sarah throughout the series. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But yeah, it, it's not like the James Bond series. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it participates. It's hard. I mean, it has to be hard mm-hmm. to try to make a spy film and not fall into these kinds of right. things because this is what spy films look like by and large. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful men and beautiful women, and they're living dangerous lives. And part of the dangerous, like, because they're thrill-seeking adrenaline junkies, basically. And because they can't settle down. And because they can't settle down, then they they tend to live um, private, intimate lives that are also, you know, loose and whatever. Um, and it's it's the way that spy movies have been made for a long time and, and TV shows. And so I understand that they're operating in, like, kind of tight quarters mm-hmm. and trying to navigate it. I don't feel like they're successful... Often, or I mean, I feel like often they are unsuccessful in the way that they deal with this issue. So yeah. anyway, that's a, a, that like that being out of that the way. being out of the way, we can just talk about <laughs> Chuck because there's a lot to like about this also. All right. Well, I wanted to touch on what I ended up writing that one paper about, uh, which explored kind of the entire series, but we certainly get it in this pilot. This relationship between technology and biology. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that paper, I was talking about Chuck and positioning it in this trend of, of narrative, like particularly American popular culture and how technology gets dealt with. And I was kind of building off of Leo Marx's machine in the garden. Have you heard mm-hmm. of this? Um, so this was in a project he started in the 1940s. I think the book finally got published in the 1960s, but he was talking about how industrialization in fiction, like since the industrial revolution, we see uh, technology, um, like damaging and entering the natural world in a way that's very um, destructive and, and invasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a, a, an example that he gives is in Huckleberry Finn, you have Jim and Huck on this idyllic, almost um, Eden-esque trip down the river uh, as they're floating on this very simple raft, and then it gets destroyed by the steamboat, you know, that comes mm-hmm. by, and it just destroys everything that was that was pastoral about <laughs> about their existence. Sure. Um, and I was looking at this as a progression that we see of from from technology invading nature, like that steamboat and, and the raft, to technology invading the human body. We start to see like cyborgs in the 1940s mm-hmm. and 50s and 60s. Cyborgs become much more common as, as like part of the organism of humanity gets removed and replaced by technology. And this is now technology entering the human brain itself mm-hmm. and altering the way the brain works and becoming part of the, of the human mind and altering human personality. Um, and so this goes along with other parts of popular culture like the Matrix films or Eternal Sunshine of, uh, uh, of the Spotless Mind uh-huh. um, about technology now in the brain. It's like this progression from nature to human bodies to now human minds and what does technology do to our identity. Um, and I think the entire series does some interesting explorations of that, not only with Chuck, who sometimes gets, you know, he's just the asset or the intersect. Like he loses right. his, his identity, uh, but 
he learns to use this as a tool. And eventually, um, if we look at this like a hero's journey, he gets introduced into this crazy spy world because of the intersect. Like his call to action is that right. email from from Bryce Larkin. Eventually, he does master the intersect, and he actually gets it removed, and he still remains a spy. Like he's still mm-hmm. good enough. He's gained enough skills. He's a master of both worlds. Um, and then when he gets put back in in the final season, he completely controls it. It has nothing. Like it alters his personality in no way. So he can master this tool even as other people struggle with it. But throughout the series, I think they highlight this biology, technology. What is the interaction of this? What is this doing mm-hmm. to us as people? Um, and I love, like, even from the very beginning, it's, he is part of the nerd herd repairing technology. His sister and Captain Awesome are doctors repairing biology. Yeah. Like, we're, they know what they're doing. Like, this is a choice that's made, and I really enjoy the way it gets explored in the show. That's awesome. I, I hadn't thought about Ellie and Captain Awesome and their role in this, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and interesting that, um, it's interesting to me that this alteration to him is it's not an implant it's yeah it like enters through his eyes yeah. and like it's all like it like it's burned into his brain it's, not it, implanted it's not like a chip that can yeah. be taken out which like throughout the series i think they or it might not have even been in the series it's been a little while since i saw it because it's not on netflix anymore but um like they describe it as he's got a computer in his brain that has all the government secrets but that's not really it's the not case. It's not true. Like, uh-huh. he, he has visually ingested all of this information, and his brain has triggers that will cause him to process it a certain his way. His brain is, is the, the computer. computer. Yeah, it's there, not that... There's no physical computer right. that's been put into his brain. Or, or I mean, the information isn't really accessible mm-hmm. to him unless it's triggered. Yeah. And, I, I mean, even as I say, like, this is about technology in the brain, this is very hand-wavy technology. Yeah. <laughs> like, when we talk about magic, sometimes you got hard rules of magic, and sometimes it's the author waves their hand and says, this magic happens. This is, this technology happens. And you just got to accept that premise as you go in. And also, um, I think, like I said, I, I did not watch all of the seasons, and it's been a long time. But one of the things that I like the most about Chuck is sort of his resistance to being changed by the technology. He's changed. He he develops over time. Like he he grows as a character, mm-hmm. but not necessarily because, like in air quotes, of what's in his brain, mm-hmm. but because of the opportunities that 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 gives him and the, and the relationships that he has because of it, and um, and the choices that he makes because of those relationships I, more than the fact that he is seeing images flashing right. in his and we see um, later on other like other government agents eventually get um, oh. and a couple storylines they get and intersect into their heads and I think in the episode I'm thinking about um, if I remember correctly both of them at the end of the episode get this out of my head because it changed them because like, uh-huh. they were trying to embrace it and it changed and they're like I don't have control anymore like this is just too much for them and I think it's Chuck's resistance is, is a key part of that and again viewing this as like okay I've got a tool um, and it's not me like I, I am not the intersect even though everyone calls him the intersect and the enemy agents are always after the intersect and that's Chuck for him it's this thing that's separate from who I am and I think one thing that the show 
is saying about technology is we need to use it as a tool and don't let it become part of us. And this is a trend of discussion that we see in science fiction films going back to the 1930s of like, what is technology doing to us as humanity? How is it altering us? And this one is saying, resist technology, use it as a good tool, but right. don't let it like overcome you. I mean, going back to like Charlie Chaplin, Modern Times and <laughs> Metropolis with the Moloch sequence, if you've ever seen. Yeah, I'm thinking of like uh, Flowers for Algernon mm-hmm. or um, the Travolta film Phenomenon where he gets stuff... Just- Put in his brain by aliens, mm-hmm. and then it f- like fundamentally changes mm-hmm. him. And Flowers for Algernon, they're working on a, the, a drug, right? Right, it's a drug that in, in increases intelligence, and right. then you the person becomes unrecognizable. I would say all of these also like have a root in Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like the the man inventing something that they shouldn't that that backfires on yeah. him. And there's there's like a at least a half season arc where. Chuck doesn't have the intersect, intersect, but um, his best friend Morgan does, <laughs> and he becomes a complete dirtbag, and he's awful, and completely changes, and he wants and it, to abuse his power and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the things that Chuck never does with it because he's like, well, no, this is like it's just an element of it's it's a tool in in his bag, which they demonstrate from like through this episode, mm-hmm. like right. through, through episode one, and it's consistent for his character. Throughout, like, even when he didn't have the intersect, he was a problem solver, and he used technology at at the store to help well, with even, the with the father. Like, and the, then and then at the end, it all it does is piece these things together, and he's like, "There's a bomb. I know where it is. I know what's going to happen." And he goes there, and the intersect doesn't help resolve that right, situation. It just informed that situation, and and he was the one that resolved it through knowledge that he had because of his job. And I had totally forgotten about that. He's like, oh, we sell these computers that has this problem with this virus. This is perfect. I can put, like, I can make this happen. And I love the moment after it works where he's like, what if it hadn't? <laughs> he like starts shaking. He's like, he's and like, Casey says, "Don't just, throw up on the on the C 4 yeah. he's, like, he's like, "I just did this this thing, and it resolved a, a problem because I'm a problem solver." But like, he was kind of going on autopilot for his for his you know yeah. fixing problems, which is what he does in the nerd herd. Well, and again, I think it's also interesting that um, talking about biology and technology, he essentially gives the computer an STD. Right? He visits a porn site to download right. a virus. Like, I, I think they're still again they they know. <laughs> they, they know this is a major theme say, of this show. Yeah, absolutely. This, this virus based on this context. Well, yes. And the and uh, I mean uh, I was critical of the writers earlier of this, but um, this is a case I think of really smart writing, where it's kind of a joke. It's kind of a funny thing that these that these the computer the laptops blow up basically. I mean they start yeah. smoking when yeah. you and visit this, this site. Laptop. It's this particular this particular model this particular site. And it's kind of a gag at the beginning, and you laugh, and you think it's kind of over. And then at the very end, it comes back and is the way that he resolves this thing. It was the and Chekhov's I had gun. To- it, it is Chekhov's gun. And I totally had forgotten that, um, that the way that he's able to solve that is with his real-world knowledge, not with his intersect knowledge, right? It's not because of what they've, mm-hmm. what's been implanted into his brain, but because just of who he is. Um, and I like I like that. And I feel like again with this being a, um, in some ways like an evolution of or a spoof of the spy genre. There are a lot of spy films you could point to where whatever the asset is that was being protected would have just solved the problem because that's what the you know that was the reason the asset was there. Right. And it does something different for the character of Chuck to give him both of those things. Like I've gotten the knowledge, but I'm also I am myself, and I am going to make choices that are going to alter the course of my life story. And then the other choice that I love at the end of this is 
there's still this kind of debate about is he going to go with the NSA? Is he going to go with the CIA and Sarah and Casey him? are fine? Are they just going to kill him? And he says, you know what? I'm going home. And Casey says, no, you're not. You're coming with me. And we established earlier uh, Adam Baldwin is a he's imposing, a, an, guy. imposing guy. If and, you've never watched Chuck, but you do know Firefly, he's Jane on Firefly. That's probably what he is most famous for. And I don't think of him when I, I he's, he doesn't seem physically imposing like The Rock. Like, I don't think of him as as this imposing physical character, but there's something uh, in, like, the just the menace in the way that he delivers he, he lines. He a little bit into yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, that he, he, I mean, he's a great actor for playing that role that mm-hmm. he plays Which in it, so many It's very similar instances. to what he was in Firefly. Yes. So I, yeah. I'm sure he's a good actor, but I haven't seen him outside of the... A stoic strongman role very often right. that I can think of. And so they're fighting, and Chuck says, you know what? I'm going home. And Casey says, no, you're not. You're coming with us. And he says, you need me. I don't need you, basically. <laughs> and then he just they just kind of let him go. And to see Chuck impose his will in that situation, um, I think is really important for uh, establishing him as a character at the very outset of this series where at the beginning of the episode, he's like trying to run away from his party, but it doesn't really work. And his sister ropes him back in and he's sort of like, his life is just kind of stuck and it doesn't seem like he's making lots of choices. And to see him at the very end of this pilot episode say, no, like I am in charge of my life now as kind of weird and sad as it is. Um, I think it's really important and says a lot about kind of who he is in his core and makes him a, a much stronger, more interesting character moving forward rather than being what they could have done, which is just making him this weak sauce sort of cast about by... A gentleman in distress. Yeah. Yeah, a gentleman <laughs> which, in distress. I mean, he spends plenty of time in, in that position. position. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. But, but I think, again, right from the beginning, the audience has a different view of him than just this um, object, you know, the MacGuffin right. uh, that the, the spy agencies are going to be fighting over mm-hmm. um, and using as, as their tool. I think it's those two bits of writing are key, right? That he solves it himself and that he walks away and says, mm-hmm. deal with it. Um, and then also, I think it's Zachary Levi's performance does a lot to make you care <laughs> about Chuck. Um, he's, he's just, there's, there's something about him. Like so many of the characters on this, I like, I expect them to have larger careers than they have. I'm sure they're all successful. Like, they've all... Right. I mean, they've been on TV shows in prime time, and they've been on multiple TV shows, all of them, and in movies and stuff. But I just, like, expect bigger stardom out of Zachary Levi and I mean, Yvonne Strahovski and, and uh, even Captain Awesome. Like, he's a very small character in this, but I'm like... He's really good. He's, he's really fantastic. He's almost every episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like, a, a B-level character in every episode. Mm-hmm. He's um, called Captain Awesome just because this wasn't really explained, because his description for everything is awesome. awesome. <laughs> and also, he's he is, awesome like, at he, everything. Yeah, like, he's he he it, it suits him. I remember um, back in the early, like, when I had started watching Chuck, and this was still when Marvel was in their, like, phase one of filmmaking, and they were casting Captain America, and his name was being floated around as Captain oh, really? America. I was like, I could totally see him as Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> like, he could be Captain America, and I'd be like, that that works. Because he has, he has, I mean, there's certainly enough shots of him with his shirt on. <laughs> the thing series. that I like about Captain Awesome is that he's likable. Yes. And he and, could be... And still, you call him Captain Awesome. He like, could be so terrible. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you could hate him, and Chuck could hate him, and he and Chuck actually have, like, a pretty healthy relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, Chuck is not super successful. He dropped out of Stanford, or got expelled from Stanford. Yeah, um, expelled. 
And, and you find out later, Bryce Larkin was doing that to protect Chuck. Right. Um, but uh, that's much later in the series. There's a whole mythology yeah. around Stanford that gets sure. built up. <laughs> um, he's in this kind of dead-end job at the Nerd Herd. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He's still hung up on his girlfriend from five years ago. But he lives in the house with his sister and her boyfriend, who is Captain Awesome. And they're both very successful doctors. Yeah, and you would think that Chuck, Chuck would be just like full of resentment and mistrust of Captain Awesome for well, I, being with his sister. And you'd think that Captain Awesome might be like... Smug Chuck, about like, it. get it together, like... Condescending. Yeah, yeah and they're not. Like, not both of them no, handle dude. that really well. Mm -hmm. And it makes you... I think it, it makes you like both of them better and makes the series stronger because of it. I think it's at the end of the pilot, there's this great moment where after Chuck's had this crazy adventure and realized, like, I could have died, I might still get taken away from it. Like, the government might take me. Uh, and so he goes home and he sees Ellie... And he gives her a hug, and Morgan's there, and he gets in on the hug, because he kind of likes Ellie, and he... He, he says, group hug? And, and then Captain Awesome <laughs> walks by, and he, he's, like, on his way out the door, and he's like, uh, I've got an early morning procedure, he just looks at him, he's like, group hug, awesome. <laughs> and he steps up, <laughs> and, and just hugs them all, and then he walks out the door. And you just like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he's a very... He's a positive, affirming personality yeah. throughout the entire series. Yep, Which I you like need it. because everyone at the Nerd Herd is... Or, at, at, by more, is beaten down and cynical. Yes. You need this positive happy, optimistic yeah. force in Captain Awesome. And to call him Captain Awesome who is, is just fantastic. Who is, frankly, dealing... I mean, he's a doctor, and he has to do procedures all the time. He's dealing with harder stuff than anyone in the nerd herd, and yet he's not becoming cynical yeah, from Yeah, I like him. He's, you know, buoyant. Even as, uh, like, we talked about the difference between the biology and the technology and the fact that they're doctors versus the nerd herd, there is something that's much more aspirational and positive about the doctors versus the nerd herd. Yeah. Like, the nerd herd is a dead-end position to be fixing technology. Um, whereas the doctors, they're held up as people who are doing more with their lives. Um, and I think that's one of the moves they're saying to say technology's cool, but it's not the coolest thing in the world, guys. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's it's also less about the fact that they're doctors than it is about the fact that they're in a relation, like a really healthy a relationship. relationship. Um, and which is not to say that the doctor thing isn't important because I think symbolically it's really important. But as far as like the weight, of their profession in the in the in the show, it like it leaves a small footprint, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. it's it's it not the focus of what mm -hmm. they're doing. They're not talking about doctor stuff all the time. You see them in their scrubs. You see her practicing stitches on a on a chicken. <laughs> on a chicken, yes. <laughs> I loved that. I was like, what did she do? Oh, she's practicing her stitches. Like it's great small character moments. Yes, and they include a lot of those. I will say something that does like pivot and say something about the difference between the doctor and the technology side is there is a storyline, I can't remember which season, where um, Ellie becomes obsessed with their dad's computer, like mm -hmm. trying to understand what her dad was like. And that is the heart, like that harms her relationship with Captain Awesome. They're oh, married at that point. And it's her obsession with the computer that is like ruining her career and her personal relationships. Huh. And Captain Awesome actually steals the hard drive out of the computer to try and fix Ellie. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> a computer that she's obsessed with. Um, so I think it does say, like, like in some of the later storylines, you yeah. do see this, again, um, something uh, that's held up more significant in being a doctor versus sure. someone who tinkers with technology. Huh. Which that's is interesting cool. on a show that uh, thematically, I think everyone would say, oh, it's about, you know, technology's a huge part it's of it. It's a celebration of nerds. Yeah. And it kind of is a celebration of nerds. But also kind of a warning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I like it. I mean, as much as we've said, like, Chuck is successful because of his his nerd experience and and his technology experience at the same time there's a lot throughout it where it's like 
Well, no, he's not successful because of that. He's successful because he cares and he puts forth effort and he doesn't quit. Well, he does. I mean, he hasn't been putting forth effort. Yeah. Some of it is like now that Sarah, I mean, Sarah's a very uh, inspiring force for him to try and make more of his life. But he also feels like he has a significant mission. Like, these are important things and people are going to die if I don't. It gives him motivation. I mean, both of these things, being the intersect and being with Sarah, both create motivation for him. I love, um, so there's this initial scene when he's at the party, and the girl says, so, Stanford. And he's like, yeah, Stanford and Jill. And then he starts talking about his, (laughs) and then eventually you see that he's just totally alone talking about his ex-girlfriend because all the other girls have left. And then um, you see when he's on a date with Sarah, and she says something about, um, oh, so other girls. And he says, well, there was this girl one time. And you think he's going <laughs> to go down that road? And then he says, what does he say? Do you remember the line that I he uses? the exact line, no. He does something to say, basically, like, the, you know, that was then and this I'm, is I'm now. switching gears right now. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he's like, that's... And it's very intentional. First, first efforts he puts forth. Yeah, and it's it's a really key moment for him that says, like, I'm moving forward. I'm I'm interested in something. I feel motivated to get out of this pattern that I've been in. I think he also gets a lot of good support from uh, Morgan, his best friend, and his sister, and, and Captain Awesome. Every time he's like, maybe I'll put in an application for that assistant manager thing. Nobody says, it's about time. Like, yeah. finally, you're getting it together. They're just super supportive. It's like, yeah, do it. Like... You can what do what can yeah. we do to help you yeah. do that? And it's it's and and the same thing when he's going on a date with Sarah because he doesn't go on dates. His sister's just supremely supportive and not you know like sighing. Just finally, it's like it's going to go great. Like, <laughs> and you know like, that inside, she's totally sighing she's and like, saying finally. <laughs> yeah, because she's been trying to set him up with her colleagues. Well, and the, and they even say at the end of that party when she says, you know, you shouldn't be talking about your ex girlfriend when you're trying to meet new girls. <laughs> And he says, is it him that says, are we going to have this conversation again? And she says, well, we practiced it enough times. <laughs> and he says, well, okay. So you know that this is an ongoing thing. An ongoing thing but for him and a pattern. Effort. It's a pattern of behavior. And to see him break that when he goes on a date mm-hmm. with Sarah is really cool. And he gets the positive support from the same people who were working to help yes. him break that pattern. But once he's doing it himself, they're not congratulating themselves they're congratulating him mm-hmm. which i think is such a good support system to have yeah. on display here it turns out ivan strahovski could inspire him to be a better man <laughs> okay <laughs> can you guys spend a few minutes on sarah because I feel i'm like... happy to that was actually just where i wanted to go okay um because sarah's great and she has some great character moments throughout the series yeah i mean in the pilot we don't get a ton about her other yeah. than that she is an extremely competent spy especially killer yes she's a competent killer she's competent about lying because mm-hmm. when we meet her we don't know she's a spy yet and she completely fools everyone around her and throughout the series like she's she's called on to go undercover quite a bit i mean she, yeah, she lives uh, undercover as the work at the wiener schnitzel and the <laughs> i can't remember the name of the juice bar kind of like, frozen uh, yeah it is a yeah um and and so I, I remember there's a key moment in the series about truth where she tells, like, like Sarah's not even her name. Yes. And you don't even realize it's not her name for, until, I think, season two. I don't, uh-huh. I don't think it even comes up in season one at all. <laughs> it's not her name. And, and there's a key moment when she, like, as an act of trust, tells Chuck what her real name is. Actually, 
that doesn't happen. It I because I, I remember this. Okay. This is one of the moments that like gets me because throughout. So she's she's also performing as Chuck's girlfriend to his right. his friends and family. Like that's part mm-hmm. of her cover, so that she's always around him. And then Casey like moves in nearby, so he's their neighbor, and, right. and so he's always protected. But <laughs> forgot um, that. <laughs> but Chuck at the same time he he knows that this is false, but at the same time he cares about her and kind of wishes that it were right. the case and and all of that and he acts in a way that demonstrates that he cares and there's I can't remember what season it is but it might be the second mm-hmm. season where um, he says like I know it's hard for you to like live this life can't you tell me anything okay. to make yourself a little more comfortable can you tell me your name can you tell me your middle name and and then she doesn't say anything like throughout that whole sequence she just doesn't respond to him and then he turns around to like get them some food or something and then as he's turned around she whispers her middle name she says but not but he doesn't hear my my middle name is lisa Mm -hmm. and she feel but you can see that she feels all these emotions because he cares about her and wants to be supportive and then um Oh, well, I can tell you. I haven't watched the show for. Talk about some I was gonna say I haven't watched the show for five years because it was since I wrote that paper. Yeah, I know. She, I she does. She does. But isn't her name Sam? That's later to someone else. Okay, who, another spy. Okay, I who thought it was, is. There's so it, many layers. Yeah, like this show switches like the mythology around like who the bad guys are and who the good guys are so times. frequently that I, I like as far as the large arcs of the show, <laughs> I can't remember much, but I remember loving the characters. There's there's a sequence which I really love throughout. I think an entire season where. Um, Chuck and Sarah break up, quote unquote, you know, because are they ever really together, you know, for so much of the time. And Sarah starts dating another spy who's also helping their whole team, who's played by Brandon Routh. And Chuck starts dating a girl who joins the Nerd Herd, which is played by uh, Kristen Krueger. And so Sarah is dating an actor who played Superman, and Chuck is dating an an actress who played Lois Lane. (laughs) Lana Lana Lang. Lana Lang Lang on Smallville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there's like the, this season has you know this crossover Superman mythology in it, which I love. I like Sarah. I think um, I think that Yvonne Strahovski is a good actress, mm-hmm. and she's able to do these really subtle, like a glance or like this look of pain on her face at different points. Like she does some really subtle things that are really nice and help develop mm-hmm. her character a lot. Um, I think she's interesting. Like, she's obviously a person, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, she has a life, and she has um, wants and desires and interests. And and she has a past that's hurting her. Uh-huh. Um, she, uh, I mean, it's strongly implied in the pilot that she was dating Bryce Larkin. Right. Um, and, and you see the flashes of pain whenever she has to mm-hmm. deal with Bryce. Yeah. And the fact that they believe Bryce was betraying the government, and they don't know why. Yeah, I, I, I think she's really, I, like, she's a really strong character, not in the sense of, like, she's a strong woman or something like that. She's just a good character. Mm-hmm. And I really like that uh, about her. She, I'd say she... She's certainly super key to the show. Yeah, and I said, like, we don't get a ton in the pilot, but we get more about her than we do about uh, Casey. Yeah. Like, Casey is just practically robotic uh, yeah. in the pilot. And I think... That's not a knock on Adam Baldwin. That's what he was asked to play. And we do see some cracks in that as the season comes on that are, mm-hmm. like, choices by the actor to, to show it. Like, we both watched the f- season finale mm-hmm. of season one. Uh, where We didn't, like, do the plot summary. But in that, you see that Casey has evolved. And Adam Baldwin portrays that in the perfect amount. Like, he still wants to be the Can- stoic robot. <laughs> But right. he now cares about Chuck in a way that he does not in the pilot episode. He's yeah, ready to I, shoot Chuck. Yeah, I think you could, you can 
spoil some stuff from the end of the season, but at the end of the season, he, he's been given the assignment that the government has completed the computer, so Chuck is no longer necessary, so he's supposed to kill him, right? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, not no, they're is going that not to they're going to ship him off. Oh, so that must be another season. Yeah. Where... It's, he's been compromised, and, and the so, bad guys know where he is, and, so and they're, they're going to come and take him, so they're just going to go put him in a padded cell. Oh, they're going to take him from his family without any warning. Um, okay. Because yeah. there is, I, I think it might be the finale of season two then, where the the NSA says, we finished the computer, everything's fine, Chuck's superfluous, and you should shoot him. And so, and Casey doesn't want to, and you can see it, but he also has this tremendous sense of duty. He's like, well, that's what I've been ordered to do, and I <laughs> believe it's it's actually for the, the good of the country. And so he has like this setup in his fireplace where it puts like an image of you know, an enemy, and he shoots it. And it puts a, a picture of another enemy, and he shoots it. And then it's a picture of Chuck, and he shoots at it, and he misses. <laughs> and it's like, Casey doesn't miss when he shoots at right. a target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do remember all of a sudden, I can't remember when it shows up, but you see in his locker at the Bymore, he has a shrine to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> at, his, at his home, there's a picture of Ronald Reagan that he touches every time before he goes out the door. <laughs> That's his, part of his ritual. <laughs> And they actually steal fingerprints from it at some point. <laughs> they steal fingerprints from that picture because they wow. know he does that. And uh, I remember my, one of my favorite bits of Casey backstory is that there's a South American country where he's known as El Angel de la Muerte. <laughs> <laughs> because he lived in the walls of a building for he's, two weeks he's trying, trying to assassinate kill, someone. He's trying to kill the dictator. He <laughs> tried like four times. There's a great episode called, uh, was it Chuck versus the Crown Vic? That's yeah, all, every uh, episode Casey's is Chuck versus Yeah, That's <laughs> yeah, pretty great. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Like I said at the beginning, I have one giant hang up about this show. Um, I think it's a fair hang up. And but other than that, like it's yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's there's it's great acting, great writing. Like um, for a while, the USA Network had what what is it called? There's like Blue Sky Television or something like that, where it's just light entertaining stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even if it had like violence, like um, what was Burn Notice? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a violent show, but it was still like kind of entertaining but but not too difficult to, a little, to a, little bit, a little bit jovial uh, and same with uh, like white collar and mm-hmm. uh royal pains like all of those were like in that mold this show feels like it goes in that mold yeah of it's 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 gonna have action it's gonna have some adventure but it's gonna be you're gonna laugh and you're gonna just enjoy the ride um without challenging you terribly much as you go along which isn't to say there's not Interesting ideas. Like I think we pulled out some interesting mm-hmm. deep ideas that are present there, but it's still just an entertaining, fun ride. Is what they were trying to do. Yeah, and it has like it has decent, uh, like emotional drama too. Like you care about these relationships, and you know when you get to the point where you see uh, Captain Awesome and Ellie having trouble because she's obsessed with this computer. Like you care about that relationship, and you want things to get resolved. It's the to me, it's like the the television equivalent of. Some Ant sort of Man sp- or something. I was going right? to say, like some sort of Spanish novel? Or- no, 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 no. It's it's the television equivalent of like a summer popcorn film that's like gets good Rotten Tomato scores, you know? Like yeah. it's fun. It doesn't take itself incredibly seriously. I kind of wish maybe it would, it would take itself a, a little bit more, more seriously. Uh-huh. But yeah, like it's well made. And it's it's designed for you to just sit down and laugh and enjoy these characters and watch them, you know, like care about them. Um, but it, it's not Walking Dead or Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. It's you know, it's 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 way way light and well. Fun. And there's certainly there's some episodes that are a little off from that tone. 
there's one where there's like a series of murders mm-hmm. and it's like this feels weird it feels dark yeah. <laughs> yeah and so there there are weird episodes or weird stretches but on the whole it I'd say the tone of this pilot is the tone of the show. Yeah, I agree. For the most part. Though does it... Okay, for anyone who's about to binge it, maybe stop listening for a second. Like, it ends on an emotionally ambiguous note. Yes. Where you... you, you Todd, you've never seen all the way through. Which is real so, tough for me every time. In the final season, I'm going to spoil a lot of things, listeners, so if you want to pause, because you think oh. you might go binge the show, uh, Sarah gets the intersect forced into her mind, and it wipes out the last five years, like everything from before she met Chuck. It, oh my like gosh. Those, and at this point she and Chuck are married like in a completely happy relationship and she uh, like it's, it resets to season one I think basically where so like she knows before Chuck she, was an asset she, yeah I think it's before she okay. met Chuck but so, so she, it's the killer that she is when she meets Chuck and so she like eventually they get the intersect out but she still she does not recover those memories in the ser- in the series finale um, and she like accepts the truth that she and Chuck had a relationship that was real and he was valid but she stories. has no memories of it. Um, and then Morgan keeps, uh, he says like, true love's kiss is going to fix this. And the final shot of the show is them sitting on the beach that they're sitting on in the pilot. And she's like, I just don't remember. And then he leads it to kiss her and that's black. <laughs> like wow. you don't know what happened to their relationship to Sarah. Um, you don't know where it's going to it, go. It, and it is like their relationship by the end is very different from what it is. Even at the end of the first season, it develops. But it feels by the way much. that you've just described it, that feels hopeful to me. Yes, like it, but it's ambiguous. Like they do not confirm that she just got her memories back at all. <laughs> but they they do have a montage of him telling her stories of all these things uh-huh. that they've done, and there's clip. You know, they just show they're, and I think they're you playing. See music you're getting and, emotional, and so you're and, hoping and like is this triggering and, things. And um, but I think the last line is she asks him to kiss her. Right. I, and I, so it's like I haven't watched she, that finale since it aired, for, so I'd have to go like, back. It, and... I think she's hoping that all of this is true and that she can have that happy life. Wow. Because now, because in a, now I'm really interested because this idea of memory and and identity and identity is like one, one of your favorite one, yeah <laughs> so you got to get to like the last three episodes to to dig into oh, it man. Right now. but um yeah I, you can see and it's a desire that she has at the beginning of the series is she desires a fulfilling life with good relationships and good she doesn't memories. just want to be a killer with yeah mm-hmm. and so when you suddenly have at the end of the series. She is basically like coded as the same as she was at the beginning, mm-hmm. but then someone's telling her, "No, in the last five years, you've you've actually reached this life that you always wanted." And she's, I think, hoping that the kiss would resolve it all. And and like Chuck says, like Morgan has this idea that if I kiss you, it'll all come back. And then she asks him to to kiss her because she wants it back she's i like, like that like, like i find that so has, satisfying this has to end it like that uh-huh which it's but it's really hard to have gone through <laughs> it all yeah. for for you know if you're if you're binging it and you've watched it for two months it's like it's really hard to like see all of this development and then get put back to square one and then like but, but does it does it make it better but what's really interesting about it is as you get these flashbacks it reinforces how different Chuck as a character is. Like, his evolution is so extraordinary. Uh From what what we see at the first five minutes of the show, sad sack, dead-end job, doesn't care about advancement, unable to maintain a relationship because he's hung up on this old girl. At the end, he's a loving husband. He is the manager of the Bymore and runs a secret spy agency underneath (laughs) the Bymore without the intersect anymore. Like, he's doing this with his own competence. Um, And he's a leader uh, Mm -hmm. in in every role of his life. Like, the the, the transformation... They have to save Sarah from some things she's planning to do. Yeah, the, the wow. transformation of Chuck gets reinforced at the same time as he's like telling Sarah to try and jog her memories. Well, and even like like Chuck's haircut, 
I think is a significant change from from the beginning to the end. It, it really it's, is. It's a schlubby haircut for the beginning. It's and, so floppy. And, and then somewhere in like the third season, it's suddenly tight. I think he's up. got sweet wings. I like it. <laughs> the little, yeah, he's gonna fly but away it, with those. But wings. It, but it cleans up, and it's it's the way Zachary Levi looks now, basically, mm-hmm. and it it's real clean and I mean, crisp, and it's like okay, like this is a guy who's grown up in the last. Five years. Exactly. Like I, I see this, and I see like star power on the screen, and I want all these actors that have had bigger, higher power careers. And I say that, but like Zachary Levi was just nominated for a uh, Tony Award. Yeah, on Broadway for a musical. He's done like, very he's well. He's doing on fine, uh, and all these actors are doing fine. But I just feel like I mean, they Zachary... should be headlining number one TV shows or in summer blockbusters. Yeah. yeah so she, Ivan Strahovski, is in Dexter, uh, Twenty Four, Live Another Day, Killer Elite, and Louie. Those are her, her TV like roles for. Those had, are her known for oh, okay. roles. She should have like a like a, a film career. And Adam Baldwin, I, I don't know what he's done since this, but he feels like one of those actors that's always going to be popping up. I'm sure. Yeah. Zachary well, Levi is known for Chuck and Tangled, Tangled because he's Flynn Rider, Thor: The Dark World, and Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> well, now and now some Broadway. Uh, and now yeah, some Broadway. She loves me on Broadway. Joshua it, it, Gomez, this Morgan Grimes. I feel like I've seen him in other stuff. I feel like I've never seen him in anything else. <laughs> Oh, he's in Castle. There's an episode of Castle that he's in. I remember that. Uh, yeah. So Chuck, oh. Without a Trace, The Crazy Ones with Robin Williams, and Castle. Uh, One I was, episode. I will say, Zachary Levi, if fans of our podcast are looking for him again, he is in the psych special Christmas movie that's being released this year. Ooh, really? He's the I bad always, guy. I always and, felt like Psych and Chuck had a lot of time yeah, in common. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. I think that's what I should put say. Yeah, yeah, like, Psych was I part of that like USA. They could have yeah. had a crossover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was going to... Oh, I have a total trivia question that I just was curious about. So in the opening credits, uh, it says Zachary Levi, um, Ivan Trahovsky, Joshua Gomez, and then it says, and... Sarah... Uh, Sarah Lancaster. Lancaster. Like, she gets the special... She spot. gets a special thing. And really the only thing I can think of is she had been... Like, she'd been on uh, Say by the Lanou class for a number of years. So yes. I'm just wondering, like, was she... Like, did she have enough SAG credit that she got the hammer spot in the opening credits? That was, and her Wikipedia page says that that's what she's known for is, I mean, her her known for on IMDb is Chuck, The Judge, Everwood, and Catch Me If You Can. Oh, she didn't Catch Me If You Can. And, and her role in Catch Me If You Can is Riverbend Woman. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she was in lots of episodes of... She's one of the core cast of Saved by the Bell, the new cast. Of the new... Yeah, but like... But that doesn't feel like that should be enough to get her the hammer. I know, position. usually, that you know, that would be like, <laughs> and Robin guest. Williams, or, yeah. and uh, Glenn Close. Not <laughs> and Sarah Lancaster, but, um, you know, like, kudos to her agent for... <laughs> <laughs> for whatever magic they were. And I think she she does a great job, too. I think, you know, worth shouting out. Like oh, yeah, Her relationship, good. like, it is a very believable brother-sister relationship totally. that she and Chuck have. Yeah, and I a like very it. believable romantic relationship that she has with Captain Awesome. Yeah, I'm not laughing about that she gets the special thing because she doesn't deserve yeah, it it's, because of her, her acting ability. Just, she's not as well-known as you would expect. You just well, would, you would expect like, that for an Academy Award winner, not for Saved yeah. by the Bell. And they do, I mean... It has a strong cast throughout. I think uh, later Scott Bakula shows up for a while, uh, yeah. and um, uh, Timothy Dalton is in like a whole as season a villain. Of it. Really, he's fantastic. But it's a villain with this crazy identity stuff to add. Mm-hmm. Of, it's, it's the, he doesn't. He's not really who he thinks. It, like the villain doesn't know he's not who he thinks. Really? He is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, See, like, now they got to put it back on Netflix so that I can just finish <laughs> the show. 
Well, even I was gonna say like with the, the casting, um, the guy who plays Bryce Larkin, he Matt is, he's the main star of White Collar, um, mm-hmm. one of those USA series. Like, so he's gone on and had even though it feels like um, both Captain Awesome and uh, the guy who plays Matt Bomer who plays Bryce Larkin. I wonder like, did they read for the role of Chuck? And you know, didn't yeah, get it. Like, so they're like, like we got to use these guys for something. Like they're they're real <laughs> handsome. <laughs> who's the who's the, the other the nerd guy? Uh, that's not uh, that's not Lester. Is it Jeff? Jeff. I feel like I've seen... Yeah, Jeff, oh, I've Jeff, seen I this see. guy around. Well, what's the actor's name? His name is... Scott Krinsky. And IMDb says... Chuck, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Tangerine, and the Steve Jobs, Ashton Kutcher film. But I know I've seen him in other stuff. Um, Rabbit Cop, Trainer, Tranny Trainer, Choke <laughs> okay. Kick Dot Girl... This is always listeners' favorite moments of a podcast. <laughs> the OC, <laughs> which uh, Josh Schwartz created. The OC. The oh, really? This. I'm pretty sure. Double check that for me, since we just threw it out there as factual <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Click on the OC over there. Does it say created by Josh Schwartz? The OC creator Josh Schwartz. Okay. Man, it's like you're an expert in American popular culture. <laughs> as though. As if. As if that, that were the case. Part of my career. Yeah. All right, well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this discussion of Chuck, and I think it is a show that has held up well, and it seems to still have a pretty dedicated fan base uh, based on when I was looking up trivia. The the amount of discussion of it online still seems to be happening pretty strongly uh, a number of years after it went off the air. I would would do a podcast watching and discussing each episode of Chuck. (laughs) I would gladly do those 91 episodes. Okay. Awesome. That wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. We are part of the Dueling Genre Network of podcasts. Go to duelinggenre.com for a list of all of their shows. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in Apple Podcasts, and please leave us a review there. It really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 36 when we discussed Avatar The Last Airbender or episode number 131 about the novel The Rook. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really great conversations there with our listeners, and we'd love for you to say hello anytime. To buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation, please go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Can you run that one again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> From the top. This is the worst outro ever! I don't know about that. We've got quite a few bad reads of this, of this script. It's been a long time since I've struggled this much.